We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, January 28th, 2021. On today's show, to hell, to hell with Georgia. The Court Cox blasting the dogs last night. A big-time win at Colonial Life Arena. I'll break down that game in its entirety. Also, the 2021 football schedule is officially set. I will give my takeaways and why I think this schedule sets up very well for first-year head coach Shane Beamer. Also, a ton of news and notes to get into that include just when you thought Shane Beamer's coaching staff was complete. Here we go again. Another opening is Des Kitchings is bolting for the NFL. Also, I'll break down comments from Shane Beamer and Greg Atkins, the offensive line coach, and their media availability yesterday. And also, Gamecocks baseball being pegged third in the SEC East by D1 Baseball. I'll talk about that a bunch more. Also, your listener questions. And we have a fantastic interview, former Gamecocks baseball player, Parker Banks, Parker playing in the late 2000s, a big-time basher for the Gamecocks, and of course was a part of that 2010 College World Series team that took home the hardware in Omaha, folks. We have got a packed show here on a Thursday, guys. Sit back, relax, enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention their companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company, by the way. They are a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone in the crew is just as invested in the success of the project as you are. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service, guys. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They are founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management and moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out my friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, of course, at Upstate Movers Group. And if you have any other questions, want to find out more information, go to their website right now. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. They're at upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
to hell with Georgia. To hell, to hell, to hell with Georgia. To hell, to hell, to hell with Georgia. The cesspool of the South. Happy Thursday, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show. As always, and as you can tell by the sound of the intro of the podcast, it is a great day to be a Gamecock, because I'll tell you what, folks. Anytime the University of South Carolina beats the University of Georgia in any sport, no matter what it is, and especially the way it went down last night, we are giddy. Gamecock fans are smiling here on a Thursday. Again, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. Really want to take a second, by the way, before we get going to say thank you yet again. Show my gratitude to you guys for all the love, for all the support. We've had a fantastic month of January in regards to the content with the podcast. Of course, I'll be putting up official stats and numbers at the end of the month. But again, we have uh, assured ourselves, if nothing else, nothing else for the fourth straight month, we're going to average over a thousand downloads per day of the month for the show. So again, guys, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. You guys have made the content a huge success. And again, even going beyond football season, you know what I mean? Because you expect things to fall off a little bit once you get past football, but going through basketball, of course, all the coaching stuff has helped, but going through basketball, and of course, we got baseball coming up. Just want to say to you guys, thank you so much for the love, for the support, the best fans out there, the best fans on the internet, guys. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. With that being said, let's just go ahead and dive right into it because I told you guys last night on the Daily Crow when we did the pregame and the postgame show that, hey, the podcast is going to be a lot more fun today if we find a way to get the W. And boy, did South going to do that more. 83-59, to 59, the final score. And I think it was even a little bit bigger than that at one point. South Carolina's up by 30. Georgia kind of scoring a, a little bit late to make it even closer than it should have been. But a dominating win for South Carolina. And, and let's just put it out there. One you had to have. I, I know I've said that multiple times the last couple games, whatever. But this really felt like a moment in this young season, if you will, that it was going to go one of two ways. You know what I mean? Because you came in this one, you're a five-point favorite, you were on your home floor, you just got embarrassed by Auburn. What gives? You know what I mean? Really, what was going to give with this team? I'll be honest. I don't know about you guys, but early on, early on in this game, I was terrified. I, I was flat out terrified because if you remember early, this thing was sloppy. Georgia had the lead. And I was thinking to myself, hey, can I opt out of the rest of the basketball season? No, I'm just kidding, obviously. But, man, I mean, it was rough. It, it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch. First things first. Kudos to the guys on this basketball team. Because I, I really, you know, I, I talked about yesterday. I made some comments regarding we're going to find out a lot about this team's mental toughness. We're going to find out a lot about their character. We're going to find out a lot about their want to, if you will. And I think those guys, especially at that point in the game, because, again, early on, Georgia's leading. Nothing's going your way. I mean, and it was a really sloppy game on both sides early. I mean, really, really sloppy. Nothing going your way. Nobody can hit a basket. I mean, I've, 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 I've never seen so many missed layups in a basketball game. We had missed dunks. We had missed layups. We had air balls. We had turnovers. We had shot clock violations. I mean, one of the sloppier games you're ever going to watch, right? But at that point early in the game, 
I, I thought to myself, man, th- this could really get out of hand. Th- this could get out of control. You know what I mean? You're, you're down in this game yet again. Nothing's going your way. And kudos to those players first for sticking with it. For sh- You know, because I will say this, even early in the game, things were not going your way. You weren't playing well. You were erratic all over the court, but there was a ton of effort. I will say that there was a ton of effort. A guy like a Seventh Woods who, man, he had another brutal game. I'm just going to call it what it is. He had another brutal game. But I will say he played with a ton of effort. That is one thing you cannot question about Seventh Woods is he is out there giving it everything he's got because I know a lot of Gamecock fans, they honestly at this point moan and groan every time they see him in the starting five. And I'll be honest, I'm one of them. I'm one of them with the way he's playing. But you cannot question the kid's heart. You cannot question the kid's attitude. You cannot question the kid's effort. For sure. And that entire team, I would say that about them as well. Also, a big, big kudos needs to go to Frank Martin because the difference in this ball game, and I, I don't know what clicked after it, but that early defensive adjustment, that early in-game adjustment defensively, Georgia was never the same. Georgia was flat out never the same. Um, you know, you end up holding Georgia to 32% from the field. from three. Georgia went four for 26. And I don't think they made a three-pointer until the second half. I could be wrong. I don't think they made one. Uh, Maybe it was late first half, but it was late in the game. I mean, they they were literally like 0 for 10 to start. Four for 26 from three, 21 of 66 from the field. And you didn't foul a lot either. They They only shot 17 free throws. Only made 13 of them. Granted, you only shot 10. You did make eight of them, though. So even a good free throw shooting night. Meanwhile, South Carolina shot 44%, 47% from three. Let's give a quick round of applause, by the way. Keyshawn Bryant, my God. Golf clap, golf clap for Keyshawn Bryant. What a game. This dude, what a spark plug he was. I mean, really, single-handedly, he was the guy capitalizing on when the Gamecocks started forcing Georgia into mistakes, getting a lot of turnovers for the dogs, a lot of turnovers, 20 turnovers for Georgia, 20 turnovers. And Gamecocks had nine steals and seven blocks. Hey, remember when I talked about winning the boards? Gamecocks won the boards, 45 to 42. And really, again, like I said, the disparity, the gap closed at the end of the game. It was more than that throughout. Gamecocks had to win the boards. They did. But Keyshawn Bryant, he was the guy that I really thought, you know, when South Carolina got on that run and and was playing great defense and getting in Georgia's face, he was the dude converting that into points on the other end. I mean, obviously he had the posterizing dunk, which is just, that is so par for the course for Keyshawn Bryant at this point. Like, he is good once a week for a big-time highlight. He really is. And sometimes even more than that. But the player that he has flourished into, a little double-double, no big deal for Keyshawn, 19 and 10. 19 points, 10 rebounds. I mean, no big deal. Keyshawn Bryant has really turned into a big-time player for South Carolina. I mean, even in these losses we've seen the last couple, he's having good games. He's having really, really good games. I love what I'm seeing from Keyshawn Bryant thus far. A guy like Jermaine Kuznard. Hey, finally got it going. 18 points for Jermaine. Finally got it going. I mean, we've been waiting for... God, I mean, how, for how long? You know, Jermaine Kuznar, for whatever reason, just has not looked like himself. Flat out hasn't. 18 points for him. A.J. Lawson with a solid 12 points. You know, and then you had seven Woods, who actually had eight 
Justin Manaya had 10. Trey Hannibal McCreary, who was back. Jalen McCreary getting him back was huge, I thought. He had five rebounds. Justin Manaya had eight rebounds. Leading the SEC in rebounds per game. So overall, you know, listen, I, and I don't want to overreact to the win. I mean, look, I, I, I want to enjoy this win. Because like I said, anytime you beat Georgia, and, and after you lost three in, a, three in a row the way South Carolina has, you know, you, you want to just wake up today and feel good about this one. And I don't blame you at all, Gamecock fans. We, we all need to sit back and just feel good about this. That for the first time in weeks, we have something positive to talk about today when it comes to South Carolina basketball. Because again, we know there's talent on this team. We, we know there's talent. Guys like Lawson, Kusnar, Manaya, Bryant, um, you know, Trey Hannibal, even Seventh Woods, Levesque. I mean, these guys have talent. There's a reason that people were picking them to go to the tournament. But because of COVID, the adversity, the, I think, you know, taking a toll on them mentally just hasn't been there, hasn't clicked. Now, with that being said, though, it, it, is this team all of a sudden, all of their issues are gone? No, I think there's still issues that need to be resolved with this team. Consistency is the biggest one. Certainly being consistent is the biggest one. You know, because you look at that team on Saturday that played against Auburn and that defensive effort, and then you look at, you know, you look at this one and you're like, you know, it's not the same team. With that being said, I think Georgia's probably the worst SEC team you've played at this point. Georgia was abysmal. I mean, they were terrible. I was actually very surprised how bad Georgia was. You know, I, I mean, listen, I didn't think they were world beaters by any stretch, and you were a five-point favorite, but did I expect South Carolina to beat them by 24 or be up by 30 at any point? No, I did not. But again, when you play a team like that, you know, with me, with, with that being said, you need to give credit to South Carolina because when you play a team like that, you need to take care of business. And that's exactly what the Gamecocks did. Again, there are a lot of positives to pull from this game. Like I said, South Carolina is still not a perfect team, of course, but there are a lot of positives to pull from this. And this team played how we all thought they could play. I mean, listen, yeah, I picked Georgia to win the game for sure. And I love, <laughs> I love, by the way, on a side note, like the reaction from people on social media when that, you know, it, it seems like it happens more in basketball for some reason. Maybe it's because we basically lost every football game, so I didn't see it a lot. But, you know, it's um, it's so funny. People, people on social media, like, you know, are you going to, are you going to apologize for your, for your, uh, for your comments? Are you, you know, and people like coming at me for the, for the prediction and all that. It's like, guys, I, I was, I, I want South Carolina to win, you know? Um, but after what we had saw the previous three games, you know, coming into this one, I just didn't think there was genuinely any reason to pick them to win. And hey, guess what, guys? Maybe a little reverse psychology. Every time I've picked us to win this season, something very bad has happened. Terrible. Which has got me kind of contemplating because tomorrow, of course, I'll do the preview show for the Saturday game at Vandy. I'm like, man, that's a game that, you know, if you feel like we should win, we'll probably be favored. Should I pick us to win and, and risk being the ultimate jinx? Or should I pick us to lose and hopefully be wrong? I haven't decided yet. But with that being said, and speaking on that Vandy game, because again, 
great performance, great game, great job by Frank Martin, great job of the guys stepping up. I think the bigger takeaway from this game, though, and what this game really means for South Carolina is this. Even with everything that's happened, even with all of the the three-game losing streak and the negativity and the chatter, and I'm not even, here's the thing, guys. I'm not even thinking about the postseason at this point. I, I'm just not. I'm just, my mind is so far removed from the postseason. I'm thinking to myself, how can you just get this season going back on the right track? How can you just get positive momentum going for this season? Right? How can you string together a couple of wins and build some buzz? You know, and then we can start worrying about, oh, well, South Carolina needs to do this, this, and this to get to the tournament. But you find yourself now that the bigger takeaway from this win is, you know, you did exactly what you needed to do in this game. South Carolina basketball needed something to feel good about. Bottom line, doesn't matter if they were playing Georgia Middle School. They just needed a win. And again, when you can win like this, when like the way you did, 24-point win over an SEC East rival, especially when it's Georgia, you feel pretty good about that. Now, but now the opportunity that you have You play at Vandy on Saturday. And coming into this week, everybody looked at the schedule and said, okay, you got a a chance to bounce back. You find yourself two and three in SEC play. You're feeling kind of good. You got a big home win. You're going on the road to Nashville to play a Vandy team that hasn't won a conference game. All of a sudden, hey, you go to Nashville and get a W, you're back to 500 in the SEC. You have back-to-back wins under your belt. And granted, your schedule will get much tougher, but now you're playing with confidence. Now you have momentum. Now you have buzz. And again, I talked about this team and the mental, just the overall psyche. What was it? You start giving this team confidence. I mean, you never know. Because again, the talent's there. And you know, I, I think, I fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever, I think South Carolina is past the worst of this COVID thing within their team, at least. So, hey, they're continuing to practice. They're continuing to play. So you think they're only going to get better and better. You would think so, that they're only going to get better. Now, that's something we, you know, I'll talk about tomorrow, that we need to see Saturday is some consistency, bottom line. We, we just flat out need to see some consistency. But again, you couldn't win two in a row if you didn't win the first one, right? You had to have this one. And now that you've beat Georgia and you have something to feel good about, you go into Vandy, maybe a little bit of swag. You go into Vandy with some swag, right? And then all of a sudden you beat Vandy, you're back to 500. It it just opens up a new realm of possibility, I think, for the 2021 season or for this season or whatever you want to call it. So... You know, again, great win. It won you had to have. Kudos to that entire team, the coaching staff, uh, you know, everybody that, again, they've been through so much adversity, have been through tons of adversity. And, again, I, you know, I, I don't know if there's people tuning in that are saying this, but it's like nobody, or at least I, I – actually, I can only speak for myself. I was never saying fire Frank Martin. I want to make that very it the again the fact you have to reiterate it over and over and over is exhausting and stupid. But I know there's people that are probably tuned in that are, are you know are going to be tuned in to the, the Daily Crow and that are going to be on social media 
that for whatever reason, because I said one critical thing about Frank Martin, they think I want to fire him. No, I think Frank's a really good coach. But with this crop of dudes, we needed to see something. And again, you saw that last night. Good job. Now, now the question is this. What do you go do with it? Because if you go to Nashville and you lose, guys, if you lose to a Vandy team that's defeated in conference play, you kind of undo everything you just did last night. But again, I think South Carolina is going to have a great opportunity. I think certainly the opportunity is there. And again, now you have some momentum. Now you have something to feel good about. And you have a team that I think if it's playing with confidence, it can be very dangerous because you got the athletes, you've got the shooters. You, you truly do feel like and believe that you have the players on this team to you know, <clears throat> make some sort of a run and give a lot of, even some of the best teams in the SEC, fits. And who knows? Maybe when the chips fall, maybe you're on the edge. Maybe you're on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. Right now, the tournament for me is so far out of my mind. I just want to see this South Carolina basketball team put two good performances back-to-back. -back. You know what I mean? Just, just play some consistent basketball. You know, continue to play that way. Don't be a flash in the pan and get a huge win like you did over A&M. And again, I, I know you were off double-digit days due to COVID. I understand, but like, Fans just want to see some consistency. That's it. They just want to have a clue when they tune in what's going on. Because, again, from what we saw against Auburn to that this game, I mean, polar opposites, especially on the defensive side. So, finding a way to bottle this up and take it with you to Nashville, again, you've got the opportunity to do that and get back to 500 SEC play. And, again, from that point, if you can do that, who knows what could happen. But, again, Great win for the Gamecocks. Like I said, anytime you blast Georgia like that in any sport, I mean, we're all smiling today. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all smiles and cheers and laughs um, amongst Gamecock nations. All right, let's move into the football side of things because we have a lot. <clears throat> Delete that. All right, let's move into the football side of things because we've got a lot of football tidbits to get into today. A lot more, by the way, than I was probably expecting. Um, we'll start with this first. Yesterday afternoon, the 2021 schedule, the finalized schedule, that is, was officially released on SEC Network. And, of course, they drugged that thing out, and they made it a full a full, uh, a full, program. It took, like, 45 minutes just to get the schedule. But it was fun. It was fun because, I mean, it was something I really wasn't expecting to come out right now. Uh, gave us something to watch, something to cover, whatever. Let's go down the Gamecocks 2021 football schedule. Again, this is finalized. The dates, the locations, everything else. Shane Beamer's first season in Columbia. The schedule looks like this. September the 4th, South Carolina opens up with Eastern Illinois at Willie B. 9-11 at East Carolina. 9-18 at Georgia. 9-25 versus Kentucky. 10-2 versus Troy. 10-9 at Tennessee. 10-16 against Vandy. 10-23 at A&M. Then you have a bye week on Halloween weekend, which all of the students in five points rejoice. Um, then you come back November the 6th. November the 6th, you play against Florida. 11-13, you're at Mizzou. 11-20 against Auburn. And 11-27, the home date against the Clemson Tigers. So, hey, I know for one, I am very happy that the non-conference is returning in 2021. 
At least as of right now, fingers crossed. But as of right now, the non-conference is returning. And the thing that really sticks out in this schedule is, man, oh, man, could it set up much better for Shane Beamer in the first six or seven weeks as a first-year head coach? Because you go down this list. I mean, listen, I said already for my way-too-early predictions, Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, and Troy, I've already got those chalked up as wins. You play them three of the first game, five games of the season, and I have Kentucky as a win. That's four of your first five games. You've got that September 18th date at Georgia, which I think moving Georgia back in the early season slot is a just phenomenal move. Uh, we all loved it in that slot. There's something about that Carolina-Georgia game in early to mid-September that that just really gets me going. I, I don't know. that that I love it in that date. I really do. And, of course, we all know the Spurrier quote about playing them earlier in the season and then they're having players suspended. And that's still a real thing, of course. But love that game in that slot. But, I mean, realistically, you look at it. I had all four of those games, though. Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, Kentucky, and Troy. I had those as wins, chalked up as Ws. At Georgia, I had as a loss. But, hey, that's a 4 and one start for a brand-new head coach. Then look who you got. October 9th, you go to Tennessee. They have a first-year head coach. That program's a train wreck right now with the NCAA violations. Then the following week, October the 16th, you play Vandy at home. I had them chalked up as a win. Then October 23rd, you go to Texas A&M, which at that point outside of Georgia will be the toughest game of your schedule. But, I mean, guys, you look, I mean, and I'm trying to be realistic here because I do the one thing I, I don't want fans to put unfair expectations on this football team just because of the setup of the schedule. But with that being said, it is hard not to get excited about it because even being like realistic, I mean, you look guys, a five and two or better start to the first seven is not out of the question. I mean, again, I've already got ECU, East Carolina, Kentucky, Troy, and Vandy. In my way too early predictions, I have those as wins. I have those chalked up as wins. That's five wins right there. And then the other games. At Tennessee, I mean, Tennessee, like I said, is a train wreck, guys. They're an absolute train wreck. Yes, it's in Knoxville, and I think anytime that game is in Knoxville – South Carolina's history and tradition there is is poor. Let's just call it what it is. We all know it's not good, right? I mean, yes, you've had some wins there, sure, but it's still it's it still seems to be a house of horrors for South Carolina football. It does at times. So I don't think you can just chalk that one up necessarily. I, again, I know a lot of fans will. I know a lot of fans will, um, which is fine, whatever. But I'll be, you know. And it'll obviously depend how South Carolina looks at that point. I mean, I, you know, I say this now, but hey, if South Carolina's four and one going to the Tennessee game, I'm picking the Cox to get the dub. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that right now. You can put me on the record. But man, I mean, you just you could not ask for a better start to your South Carolina career if you're Shane Beamer. Because I mean, you're gonna have the ability early in the season to really build some momentum. I mean, you're really gonna have the opportunity to get this thing rolling quickly. You know, again, I, I know a lot of people will scoff at the whole Kentucky thing. They beat you six out of seven years in a row. Guys, I'm over the must-champ school of thinking. Kentucky should be a win. 
and you got them at home. Kentucky should be a win. If you're a legit program, if you're if you're going to legit places, if you're South Carolina, you can't lose to Kentucky. I'm sorry. That should be that should be chalked up as a W for South Carolina football. And if it's not, then we have issues. So my way too early picks, again, I had that as a win. I had it chalked up in the win toss-ups and losses. I had it as a win, not a toss-up, a win. And then again, you've got the three built-in non-conference wins. So five and two or better is very realistic. And I mean, again, South Carolina, Georgia, who knows? I don't think it's realistic to say South Carolina is going to beat Georgia. I don't. I think Georgia is an extremely talented football team. They'll be extremely talented next year. They've got a ton of their guys coming back. A lot of guys that could have left that are coming back. So that, I think, is a stretch. But, hey, you never know. In that early season slot, probably, I'll be honest with you guys, I think probably the key game in that in that first half of the season, let's just say, that I think the key game, I'm torn between two of the games because I want to say against Kentucky, but again, I think that should be a W. But I'll tell you what, the game that's going to make me a little nervous is that week two road trip to Greenville. And again, I don't think East Carolina is some great powerhouse program, nothing of the sort. That just feels like one of those, you know, you're still early in the season. You're trying to get things going under Coach Beamer. You're trying to figure it out. What does your roster look like? That's just, to me, that, that's, that's one, that's a hurdle you need to take care of. That's just a hurdle you need to take care of, in my opinion, early. But again, we, we got a long way to go before we get to summer and even fall camp, and, and I start making legitimate predictions, if you will, for South Carolina football. But it has to make you giddy and excited as a Gamecock fan to explore the possibilities in that first half of the season. Now, looking at the second half, that's where things start to get interesting. Because like I said, October the 23rd, you're at Texas A&M. Then you have the bye week on Halloween weekend. And then your final four games look like this. Florida at home, at Mizzou, versus Auburn, and then versus Clemson. And I know that Auburn game is the one that really jumps out at people, second to last week of the season. But, you know, it's kind of funny that that used to be known. You know, you guys remember, I don't know if you guys remember, but when that used to be known as the Orange Crush portion of the schedule, that last like four or five games, because you would play Clemson and Florida and, and, uh, who else? Maybe Auburn or no, Tennessee. You would play Tennessee late in the season too. And it was known as like the Orange Crush, whatever. But that last portion of the schedule, Hey, you're gonna have some you're gonna have some opportunities for Coach Beamer to win some big games. You know, I, I talked about again in my way too early predictions that I thought the most likely upset, big upset, I think Florida at home coming off the bye too. You look at how the schedule sets up. I think it sets up well for it coming off a of bye week. You know, at that point in the season, you're gonna have your team figured out. I mean, you are at that point. And if you start the season like we think you might, you're gonna be coming in with a pretty damn good record. Hell, you might come in bowl eligible. So I think that's a great opportunity for an upset, but it, it, it does definitely get much tougher after Vanderbilt on October the 16th. Because again, you go to A&M, you've never beaten A&M. Obviously, you never won in College Station, you never beaten them, period. Florida's Florida, they're going to be good. Mizzou, at Mizzou in Columbia, Missouri, that's a tricky game because Eli Drinkwitz, I think, does kind of have that thing going a little bit. And again, just at their place, you know, it, it's been interesting for South Carolina against Missouri and in Como especially. Then, of course, you have the dynamic of the Auburn game. Now, that should be interesting, folks. 
That should be very interesting. The return of one Mike Bobo. The return of one Will Friend. And I know, again, that's one that, you know, outside of probably the Clemson game, that one is probably the one circled on most Gamecock fans' calendars. And, of course, you have the last game of the season against Clemson, and it's at home, and, you know, we'll see what Carolina can do, what Shane Beamer can do in his first rivalry game. But overall, you know, the overall takeaway for me is that I I think that as a Gamecock fan, if you're you're Shane Beamer, if if we could talk to Shane Beamer behind closed doors, he's got to be giddy over this schedule. I mean, the way this schedule sets up, again, because I, I think it's important for Shane Beamer to, like I said, he doesn't need to go out. He doesn't need to go out and win eight or nine games this year. Like I, I think people all, Gamecock fans are going to be patient. They all understand the task and the challenge at hand, right? We all get it. But man, like, can you imagine the buzz around Columbia if South Carolina's five and one? Oh my god! Oh my gosh! Hey, ratings will be through the roof for yours truly. I mean, selfishly, the podcast will be lit because I will be giddier than hell just talking out the side of my neck every week. But it's there. I mean, the opportunity is literally there. So, again, if you're Shane Beamer, and certainly if you're a Gamecock fan, you got to be giddy over this schedule. You got to be fired up. Um, Again, the second half, certainly it gets tougher. But I think if you can build that early momentum, and create even more buzz than you have around the program and go win some football games early. And, you know, I I think South Carolina, at least at the halfway point, I think South Carolina football could be the talk of the SEC. I think Shane Beamer could be the talk of the first-year head coaches. Because if you look at some of the other schedules, some of the other first-year head coaches did did not come out so friendly. Some of of the schedules are brutal. I think Auburn specifically, theirs is tough. They got Penn State, I think, week three or something. So a couple of these new coaches are going to have some rough – Welcome to the SEC moments, if you will. Man, I, I just I think Shane Beamer and company, I think South Carolina's got a, got as favorable a draw as you could ask for. I, I mean, really. And you're catching Georgia early. I mean, we love that. We know we love that. Let's not pretend we don't love that. We do love that. Catching Georgia early, even though it's at their place. Hey, last time of the year, you beat them. So what does that mean, right? I think it sets up well, guys. As you can tell, I'm fired up. I think it sets up very well. So, like I said, I, I want to I, – I don't want fans to get, like, these crazy, unreal expectations of, oh, my God, we're going to start 6-1 and one and and compete for the SEC, you know, win the SEC East. Or let, let's just take a breath. <laughs> take a breath. You know, collect our thoughts. But, again, I, I don't blame fans being excited because the opportunity is going to be there. The opportunity is going to be there. You know, if 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 some of your position units right now or whatever are, are ahead of schedule development-wise, I, I mean, who knows? Who knows what could happen? So, again, great stuff. The 2021 football schedule, like I said, officially finalized. Guys, let, guys let's move into news and notes, and then we'll dive into your listener questions. And we got to start, just like I said at the top of the show, just when you thought the coaching staff saga was over. I mean, just when we thought it was over. How many report cards do I have to put out, guys? How many times do I have to live with Gamecock fans reacting very poorly 
to my report cards. It's like Shane Beamer wants me to continue to just throw report card after report card after report card after report card. And again, I know this isn't his fault because you guys know the news I'm talking about, that running backs coach Des Kitchings, um, basically all but official, uh, football scoop, putting it out there on Twitter. He is uh, most likely headed to the NFL to work for the Atlanta Falcons. The official article said Des Kitchings, a Furman alum who most recently served as South Carolina's running backs coach for most of the past year, is positioned to leave the Gamecocks to join Arthur Smith's Atlanta Falcons staff, sources on Wednesday told Football Scoop. And really, when Football Scoop says it, uh, it's, it's, it's all but done. You know what I mean? It's all but done. With that being said, I, I know a lot of fans are freaking out over this. Personally, guys, Listen, I thought Des Kitchings did a really, really good job. I gave him an A-plus coming back. I mean, I did. I think he's a good coach. Done a lot of great work. And, you know, obviously you saw it with Kevin Harris, what he did on the field. But but let me, let me just throw this out there. Fans were also freaking out when Thomas Brown went to the league. Guys, we replaced Thomas Brown or replaced Des, Des Kitchings. We replaced Thomas Brown. We will replace Des Kitchings. I, I have no worries there. And here's the thing, too. I mean, South Carolina has Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd coming back, which, by the way, no, I do not buy into any of the, oh, my God, are they transferring because the emoji eyes, like, guys, stop it. Stop with the foolishness. Marshawn Lloyd and Kevin Harris are not going anywhere. I'm not even going to entertain that nonsense. And if you have insiders that are telling you they're leaving, you need to go find new insiders. I'll tell you that right now. Take your $7.99 and put it elsewhere, my friend. <laughs> Hopefully, I didn't hurt anybody's feelings there. But no, no, listen. I, Marshawn Lloyd and Kevin Harris are coming back. That's just bottom line. They're coming back. But my point being is like, dude, you've got two great backs. You're going to be fine. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to be okay. Now, certainly is it annoying for fans because fans just want to see some stability. I, I totally get it. And I mean, hell, it's kind of annoying for me too because it's just like just when you think this is over and done with, <laughs> I mean, has anybody had crazier staff turnover or what have you, um, you know, over this process? I, I I'd have to say no. I, I'd have to say no. Again, this is no indictment on Shane Beamer, just like all the other ones. Des Kitchings taking an opportunity for him in the NFL. And I mean, listen, it's it is what it is. It's whatever. You know what I mean? It, it's I, I understand it's an NFL job and and you know, he can't turn it down and whatever. That's fine. That's fine. Wish him nothing but the best. Um, but I also think in South Carolina will be fine. No, I do not know who the next running backs coach will be. I know I've heard the name Jay Graham, who coached at South Carolina during their their best run. So I think that's a name. You know, people, of course, have thrown around the name Marcus Lattimore. I think Corey Boyd seriously would be a great candidate. But, um, I mean, I don't know, man. It just is what it is, and you keep it moving. I, I mean, <laughs> I know that's not like a, you know, I, maybe some of you are coming today on to the show to get some words of, of comfort. But, you know, unfortunately, I just, <clears throat> I think this is part of the coaching world. You know what I mean? It's just part of the gig, I guess. I don't know. I mean, you know, it is crazy, but this is going, I will say, going back to this is why I said in the beginning, yet again, that I just would have cleaned house. And again, it, it's not a knock to Beamer. It's not a, even, a, it's not even a knock on Des Kitchings, but 
I just think it's easier when you just wipe the slate clean and and start anew. You know, I just think it is. So, I think I'm sure Shane Beamer has learned a lot from this process, and I'm sure there's things that he's done that he probably will not do if he ever goes to another head coaching gig or, you know, just, again, things he has learned that he will apply to his future as a head coach. But uh, I, I don't know, man. It's like, like you said, just, just, when, just when we thought the coaching staff saga thing was done, it just, it just popped right back up. And now you have one guy left. You have one holdover left. From from the must champ era, and it's Mike Peterson, the linebacker coach. And man, at this point, it's I mean, at this point, it's like Mike, just go, Mike, just go. What are you holding out for? I mean, no, seriously, I, I hope Mike stays. But it's like, man, if you're gonna go, just go. Like, my goodness. So, hey, it's kind of funny in the irony, in the sense that we may end up getting what we all wanted anyways, which was the staff to be completely wiped clean. So, I, I you know. Whatever. But with that being said, I mean, it's very important because you got National Signing Day literally in a week. So this is something that needs to get taken care of. So I, I expect Shane Beamer, folks, to act quickly. I do. I think he will act quickly. Um, with that being said, more news and notes on the football side of things. Just really briefly, Shane Beamer and Greg Adkins, the offensive line coach of the Gamecocks, addressing the media on Wednesday afternoon. Um you know, again, short and sweet. I really liked everything I heard from Shane Beamer. Uh, one of my favorite quotes he had was, quote, you hire great coaches and you let them go coach. And that was advice that his father gave him, obviously, the great Frank Beamer on coaching. I know that is music to all Gamecock fans' ears. Um, basically, he was talking about he's not a micromanager and he stays out of the way and he lets his coaches do their thing. And like I said, that is something that I know all Gamecock fans love to hear um, because of the presumptions made about the previous regime and what they did in regards to micromanaging um also loved his comments course because the big news this week has been the jason brown and ej jenkins additions uh shane beamer said quote really fantastic guys with some maturity and two really really good players when you watch their tape they're sec football players so listen i've questioned and said one of the big storylines for them is transitioning from saint francis to the sec well hey Shane Beamer believes they're SEC caliber, and that's good enough for me at this point. So, listen, it'll, it'll still be a big storyline, but you love hearing that from your head football coach. And then when it comes to Greg Atkins, um, loved everything I heard from him. I mean, overall, just a football guy, passionate about the game. You know, he talked about the top two things he looks for in prospects are, you know, you got to love the game of football, and you got to have certain physical traits. And he's like, there are other things outside of that, but you got to love the game of football. Um, you know, you even heard him get emotional in his – uh and his presser regarding his family. And, uh, you know, and it definitely sounded like to me, Greg Atkins is, 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 you know, feels blessed to be at South Carolina. And, you know, you, you would assume that Coach Beamer, again, had those conversations with him. And, you know, Atkins, a guy who's worked with uh, Marcus Satterfield before. So I, I think that's a big plus as well. But overall, great to hear from Beamer and Greg Atkins. Again, I, I know fans um, at this point get giddy when Shane Beamer speaks because Shane Beamer has done such a phenomenal job just – being personable, the way he approaches the fans and, and talks talks to the media. And, and it kind of feels like he's talking to the fans through the media, but also what he's doing on social media, of course, and getting the former players back. And it, it's just, oh, it's, it's such a feel-good thing. It's, it's exactly, I think, honestly, what Gamecock fans needed after the previous five years. So uh, lastly, guys, wrapping up the notes real quick before we get into your questions and interview, 
one thing I want to make note of, D1Baseball.com dropped their SEC preview for the 2021 season. They've got the Gamecocks picked to finish third in the SEC East. So here are the rankings. Here are the standings they've got picked. Uh, they've got Florida winning the East at number one, number two, Vanderbilt, number three, South Carolina, number four, Tennessee, number five, Georgia, number six, Kentucky, and number seven, Missouri. Uh, what really stands out to me, big drop-off for Georgia. I mean, I know Georgia lost a lot, but, man, Tennessee finishing ahead of Georgia, that is a big jump. But, again, the Gamecocks finishing in third. And also of note, they have South Carolina projected as a regional team or postseason team, if you will. They don't have any projections beyond that, obviously, because really college baseball is just a total crapshoot, you know, beyond the regionals. Now, I'm sure that the guys over at D1 Baseball are good friends, Aaron Fitt and Kendall Rogers. They'll have probably super regional picks or at least college World Series pick and national title picks and all that good stuff. But, you know, they've got the Gamecocks picked to finish third in the SEC East. And I'll tell you guys this right now. If South Carolina finishes third in the SEC East, they're going to be hosting a regional, bottom line. So, you finish third, you finish true to that, You, as a Gamecock baseball fan, you have nothing to worry about. So, I know the D1 baseball guys are pretty high on South Carolina, as am I. I know they've got them ranked in the preseason top 20 at 18th. So, you know, that buzz is uh, starting to build for South Carolina baseball, for sure. And, uh, you know, that that that's uh, pegging them third in the SEC East, I think certainly, you know, certainly says that. And, again, you, you take a look at the top of the SEC East in Florida and Vanderbilt. Man, it, it's almost unfair. I mean, that, those teams are just incredible. I mean, that, those, those, those Florida and Vandy, those are two legitimate Omaha teams. I mean, that's – I mean, if a team like Florida doesn't go to Omaha, that's going to be a massive disappointment. Massive disappointment for that team. So, and we, hey, we all know this too, by the way, that South Carolina opens the season up with Vandy, Florida, Georgia. So, really, the key to the first three weekends – can you split one of the first two series? If you can split, you can't get swept in either series. Dude, if you can come out of the first three series, two to one series wins the series losses, dude, you have you have gotten off to a fantastic start in conference play. So, again, Gamecocks picked to finish third by our friends at D1 Baseball. We only have one question, by the way, guys. Kind of disappointed, but I know that – I put up the question. <clears throat> I put up the question before the basketball game, and I put up another question box. By the way, so if you guys do have questions about basketball and stuff like that, reactions to the game, I'll take the questions on tomorrow's show as well. But Crusty uh, Andy was the one guy that asked the question. He basically wanted me to rate on a scale of one to ten Beamer's job so far in the transfer portal, getting guys out of the portal. I mean, it's got to be what an eight. I'd say an eight, an eight or nine. I mean, he, dude. I don't know how much more you could ask out of Beamer at this point. I mean, maybe to get some of the, the other big-time guys that came from Oklahoma or some of these other schools or whatever, but I, I think he's done a fantastic job. I really do. So, uh, Krusty Andy, appreciate the question, my friend. With that being said, guys, don't go anywhere. we got a fantastic interview. For the folks that are big-time fans of Gamecocks baseball like I am, you're going to remember this name. He was a big-time slugger for South Carolina. Actually, a two-way guy. Was a hitter and pitcher. But, of course, part of that 2010 College World Series team, Parker Bangs, joins the show. Parker, fantastic dude, fantastic human being, is now coaching at Davidson, which Davidson is actually slated, he told me, to play at South Carolina. So, really looking forward to meeting up with Parker. Again, awesome conversation. Awesome dude. Um, and that's, you know, that's such a blessing, I want to say, too, is, like, everybody I get on the show, I, I, I don't recollect a single bad conversation. I, I can tell you right now I haven't had one. Have not. 
Um, everybody that's ever come on has been so gracious and, and, and just so awesome and, and willing to share their stories and, and talk about their careers and things outside of the games too, whatever they played, whatever. So um, really just a, just a take a moment to say thank you to Parker Bangs and really all the other guests as well that take time out of their busy schedules to join the show. It, it truly does mean a lot. But again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. A packed Thursday here, uh, podcast Daily Crow tomorrow. We will break down the Vanderbilt game on Saturday. And of course, by the way, you guys might be wanting today's show. Chris, where was the position unit preview for baseball? We will have that on tomorrow's show. I thought with today's show really being a, a really packed show with everything that happened uh, on Wednesday, we will do that tomorrow. I will break down the Gamecocks' second baseman on the Friday podcast. So again, Friday podcast, breaking down the Vandy game, the second baseman. We're going to have a packed show tomorrow too, guys. It's been a great week. It's been a great week thus far. But again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate the love. Appreciate the support. Now, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks baseball player, Parker Bangs. All right, joining us in the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2007 to 2010. During his career, a two-way guy. Did it both for South Carolina. At the plate, he hit 301 with 10 homers and 60 RBIs on the mound Went seven and five with a five point three ERA and seventy four and two thirds innings pitched. He also had two saves and ninety four strikeouts. Of course, he was part of that two thousand ten College World Series team that went to Omaha and won it all. In two thousand ten, he was drafted in the thirty first round of the twenty ten MLB draft by the Kansas City Royals and is currently the assistant coach at Davidson. Was previously at PC as well. People are going to know him, Parker Bangs, former Gamecock slugger and pitcher. Appreciate you t- uh, jumping on the show, man. Yeah, that's that's quite an introduction. Um, I appreciate that. That was good. Yeah. It's it's fun, man. We we you know we obviously all know baseball is a statistical game, but you go back and you go look at all the stats, and you're like, you're like, man, that that guy had a pretty big impact. You you didn't have a bad career yourself in uh, Columbia. <laughs> yeah, I like to think that I helped a little bit every once in a while. Um, uh, you know, the two way thing it gives you twice the opportunity to get on the field. So that's it, exactly, exactly. Well, let, let's go, Parker, back to the beginning for you, because again, you're from Laurenburg, North Carolina, and like I said, you're the assistant coach uh, at Davidson now. So you're kind of back up in in the state of North Carolina. But, but again, from Laurenburg, you get on campus in 2007. Obviously, you know, Coach Tanner's really got that thing humming at that point. I, I mean, when you, when you think about, it, I, I just think back to the teams you were on and. And some of the bashers, some of the sluggers that were on those teams. I mean, some of the you know most decorated offensive players in Gamecocks baseball history. But again, just talk about your recruitment. What led you to South Carolina? The relationship with Ray Tanner. Obviously, again, you're in the state of North Carolina, so you're an out of state guy. Uh, when did South kind of come up for you, and what made you want to be a Gamecock? So my high school coach took me down to a game in 2004 um, at Fry. I mean, I I had never seen anything like that. I mean, I was 16. I kind of fell in love with it. Um, you know, I grew up going to NC State camps every year. Um, so that was, I was always this summer, I just thought I was going to go. And then, um, like I said, I went down to Columbia and kind of fell in love with the city. Um, but they didn't know who I was yet. So I had to go to a, I had to go to a hitting camp and um, I had to hit a few balls out at the hitting camp and, got to throw a bullpen to coach Calvi actually caught me with no gear. Really? Um, and then I came back down about three, four weeks later and offer. And I, I drug it out a little bit longer than I, than I wanted to. Cause my mom wanted me to visit more than one place. Right. 
Um, so there were stops at NC State and Stanford and some other places, but I mean, it just yeah, nowhere was even close for yeah, me gonna, personally. I was going to say you hit a couple of balls out and again. That's Coach Tanner. That that'll make him that'll catch yeah, his eye. That. That's his yeah. thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll cut it on for him. Um, so you were got sound like though you had a lot of big, pretty big D one offers though. So I mean, it, it's I only had one offer because I committed okay. pretty early. Okay, uh, okay, I got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean there were there were a bunch of other places that were in the conversation. Um, uh, one that I left out is another school down the road uh, that oh, okay. wears purple. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I, I, like I said, it was tough deciding, but not really at the same time. I mean, I wanted to go there since I was 16. And I mean, I still remember when Coach Tillman offered me at a basketball game. And I'm normally a pretty stoic dude, but I, uh, it was hard to control the, you know, the excitement. He probably knew that they had me then because I was threatening from year to year with the offer. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned NC State, by the way, because I, 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 I doubt you made the connection at that point. Maybe you did, but obviously Coach Tanner was at NC State for, what, like seven, eight years or whatever. And, yeah. um, I'm just curious to get your take in the overall relationship with with Tanner, not not just in the recruiting process, but while you were there, because, you know, it, it's really interesting. I've, I've had Gamecock baseball players on from, you know, early 2000s to, you know, the end of his career, and it, it's so funny to hear the stories because, you know, we all know the consensus is he was a – he was tough. He was definitely tough to play for, but he got the best out of his guys. Um, and I'll even have guys from like the early 2000s joke around and say those guys, those guys in the 2010s have no clue how bad it was. With uh, <laughs> Coach Tanner softened up a little bit. But, no, yeah, overall, I mean, playing for a legend like that, I mean, his resume speaks for itself and what you guys did and the team you were part of in 2010 and when they won it back-to-back. And, again, a guy that, heck, I was looking a little bit earlier, over, over a 1,000 wins in college baseball as a head coach. I mean, that, that just – again, that speaks for itself. Just – Talk about what that relationship was like. Oh, I mean, it was unbelievable being able to learn from someone like that. And, you know, there are a bunch of times where he would say something and I didn't really agree with it in the moment. Mm-hmm. But now as a coach, I have arrived at those things independently and then the light bulb goes off. Like, I had something he said, he was right. You know, and there's, it's nice to have that experience to pull from in my day to day. Just being able to play for a guy like that, you know, and I think I was in the dugout for his thousandth win, which was neat um, to be there for that too. And the thing that he does really, really well, and that I try desperately to do, is he took the time to understand each person and then how to motivate individuals instead of throwing that blanket over and just doing everything the same way for everybody. Mm. You know, and I think that was how he was able to get more out of guys, uh, you know, including you know, myself, I mean, and you think about the names that were down there, mm-hmm. you know, these are guys that it's easy to just you know, let them do their own thing mm-hmm. and leave them alone. But there's always a little more you can pull out of somebody. Yeah. And, you know, he's, I mean, I haven't played for anybody else since they were close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what made him so great. Obviously. I mean, you, you, like I said, the, the resume speaks for itself. The, the records speak for itself. Everything else you, you get on campus Parker, 2007, um, took the red shirt. J- just talk about what did you learn that first year? Because, again, obviously you were amped. You were excited to get on campus, uh, get the red shirt, which, again, I, I know for a lot of guys can be really, really beneficial because, again, making that that jump from high school ball to SEC baseball, I mean, it's it's a real thing. I mean, that, that's a major jump. What was what was that first year like for you, I guess, just development-wise, being around it and being in the program and, you know, being on campus? 
Well, the first thing I learned is that I wasn't a catcher because um, <laughs> I caught in high school. And uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like I thought I was a catcher until I was around people who were actually catchers. Um, you know, Trent Klein, who was a wizard with the glove dish back there. I mean, Enders, all the guys that, you know, I was lucky and fortunate enough to be the backup to. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time in the bullpen catching. Mm. Um, but I mean, that's invaluable experience because you're surrounded by pitchers all the time. You're learning that craft, which I was a pitcher as well. And you get to hang out with coach Calvi a lot. And I think the register for me was good. A, I came in with mono and I lost oh, wow. 30 pounds. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> the first, yeah. The first month. So I was playing catch up the rest of the year, but you know, from a knowledge and a playing standpoint, I got a chance to, and as the bullpen catcher, I was not a redshirt that was in the, in the bleachers, you know, so I was able to be in the environment with the rest of those guys. And I mean, that was a really good team. So, you know, I got to hang out and talk about hitting with smoke and, you know, Havens and Darnell and all those guys that then dish again, you know, um, and just learn how to be on the team. You know, because it's there's a there's a breaking in process. You go from being a big fish in a small town to being a very small fish comparatively to the rest of the guys in that locker room. So it's again the the experience is invaluable that you learn just how to be a baseball player in college. Mm. You know, not even on the field, but just how you carry yourself. Cause the guys that played at that place have just, they carry themselves differently. Yeah. And that's something that is not inherent. It's learned. So um, that first year for me was about essentially just building confidence and understanding that I was good enough to play there. Cause the first week I was, I walked down from the roost to the, mm-hmm. the walk down the bleachers and I see smoke losing balls oppo from both sides of the plate. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I shouldn't be here. Like, why am I here? I can't, I can't uh... play with that guy. Right. But yeah, I, I just, I'd love to hear you expand on that a little bit. Cause again, you, you mentioned, you know, the murderers row, I mean, of just smoke and Darnell and Disher and Havens and Robbie Grindstaff. And I mean, Hey, you were part of that team that hit the five in a row in Athens. Uh, I don't know if you made the trip or not. Cause I think that was your red shirt year. Right. So, I mean, that was the year before or that was yeah. before that was Oh six. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was watching that from my living room in Larnburg, <laughs> losing my mind. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it has not, and a lot of people and a lot of schools and scrimmages will like split the starters among different teams. So the teams are even in the fall, right. not there that you knew where you were standing all the time. <laughs> so you're like, I know I'm pitching today. You're walking down the hill to go to the locker room. Like, please, please let me pitch to the black team. I know <laughs> I have no interest in the Garnet team today because right. I like my ERA where it is. Hmm. Um, and smoke, I, would, I always would walk him. I, he never chased anything. I'd walk him every time. Havens owned me, like owned me. Couldn't get him out. Mm. Um, Darnell hit the farthest ball off of me that I've ever given up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I mean, and then you have Phil Disher, who's a two-time All-American, who you're yeah. trying to get out somehow too. So it's just not, not fun at all. You're like, I'm glad those guys are on my team, at least when we go go play <laughs> go play 60 games this year. Yeah, I gotta deal with this in the yeah. I gotta deal with this in the fall, but uh, hopefully I'll get away with it in the 
get out of this. Yeah, but probably I was gonna say it probably made life really easy though going throughout the season. You're like, I'm not gonna face a better lineup. I mean, there's just not a better one. I mean, exactly, so. exactly. And you go to the next year in '08 when it was Havens, Merrifield, Smoke, yeah. Darnell, Disher. Mm. This crazy. Yeah, you know. Now you you were recruited by the staff there as a two way, right? Like, like the plan was you're gonna do both your entire yeah. career. Okay. Yeah, the plan the plan was to catch and pitch, and then I got the yips, and uh, I think hit ninety three in the first fall. So that is not a catch or make. Um, so I caught bullpens the whole year, and then the first day on campus, uh, the next year it was all right. You're a first baseman now. It's like all right, sweet. So I guess I'll make sure smoke stays hydrated during the game. <laughs> um, but <laughs> and kind of wait my turn for sure. Cause I, I was taking a look at the stats, you know, Parker and that, that 2008 season, it seemed like you pitch and hit pretty much. It was an even split. You know what I mean? You had 47 ABs in 08, uh, hit 277 with two homers and six ribbies. And then you went three and three on the mound, um, 27 and a third innings pitched. Um, the 09 season is when you blew up offensively. I mean, hit 328, five homers, 36 RBIs, 119 at bats. Um, the pitching production stayed about the same. Did it get to a point for you? Because I think most Gamecock fans, you know, I remember you, you a little bit here and there on the mound, but I definitely remember you hitting. It Was there a moment for you where, like, you liked one side of the game more than the other and embraced it like, hey, I'm more of a hitter than a pitcher or, like, did you always just kind of throughout it just say, like, I'm, you know, I'm that guy that does both? Because, again, you were looked at as like that – almost like things like just a utility do-it-all guy. I mean, just can do whatever you ask him. Yeah, uh, it's it's one of those things where I was lucky enough to be able to actually do it in college. Um, so, I just – And not many guys do, honestly. I mean, not many guys no. can go through their entire – most guys kind of fall on one side or the other at some point. Yeah, and um, I, I think I just kind of fell in love with the work of it you know where you uh, i got to the field early so i could get my cage work in and as a two-way guy you're there all the time mm. you know you're you're there for uh the hitting part of the day you got to get your pitching work in you got to lift with the pitchers um so it's it's a lot but I'd, I'd never really enjoyed one side more than the other um my favorite experience in a game is hitting a home run you know that because there's right, nothing right more for the how difficult it is to do. You know, strikeouts are great, but they're a lot easier to make to accomplish than a home run. So I I just like playing, you know, and like I say in in high school I did it because uh, I threw hard, but I was a catcher and that, that was kind of by necessity the team needed me most there, so that's what I did. Um and then in college it was just hitting and pitching and just kind of trying to help anywhere I could. So it wasn't, there's not really a side that I enjoyed more. It was more just how can I help the team the best way possible? For sure. And it's kind of ironic because I, I want to tie this back into Coach Tanner when you were there because we're going into, you know, like, like we're sitting here right now, what, three weeks away from opening day or whatever, 2021. Carolina baseball is what, I, what I'm talking about for the next couple of weeks, obviously, breaking down the season. And this team, for South Carolina has the identity of being a power team, which I think is just like the identity of Carolina baseball, like hitting home runs is Gamecock baseball. I'm curious, what was the overall hitting philosophy under Tanner? Cause I, I've heard from other guys too, where it's I, the, the funniest one I've heard was singles clog the bases. That's pretty much what you <laughs> would say, or he would, yeah. he would, you'd look over for the sign and he'd just point to the wall. And if he did that, it meant get, 
get yeah, loose. This, this. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Um, I got a few of those in my day. Um, hey, I'm like, all right, cool, nice. It's like yeah. the green light here to try to put one on Blossom right. Street. Let's do it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely power oriented. Mm. Um, and you could tell by the team that we had, you know, and but it's interesting because we shifted a little bit uh, as we got in the year that won. Mm. You know, it, it was like 2010 when we won. It wasn't just a power game, it was a very balanced offense. And it's, I think, the philosophy. And to go back to the individualization and what he was so good at, he shifted the philosophy based on the personnel that he had. Hmm. So where we were essentially just a goon squad in 07 and 08 of dudes right. that just hit balls out. And then 09, we hit just as many home runs because we just found, they just found 23 home runs in a junior college in Florida and stuck him at first base with Nick Ebert. And, uh, and then 10, we were kind of not, that team you know i think we only had about 60 home runs which is still a lot by today's right. but i say only 60 because we had like 118 in 2008 <laughs> or something crazy yeah. um but it's it's interesting that you know each team kind of had its own identity based on the personnel that it had mm-hmm. and now in 2010 we still had like the the pinch hit goons the group three pinch hit goons which i was uh, a member of um <laughs> I think we got a standing ovation in Omaha <laughs> after our round of BP because we our job was to hit home runs. Who, who was it? Was it you? Was Barry part of that or? Yeah, me, Barry, uh, Ebert. Okay, Ebert. Okay, all right. Roth, which is not a name that's not right. With yeah, I was about um, to say that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike had a lot of pop, but yeah. I mean, he just his pitching kind of took the front right, right there for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to say Jeff Jones might have been in there with us as well. Um, just he, the pinch hit he, goons. He did hit bombs. I will say he did hit bombs. Yeah. With those forearms, he should have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was it as far as, and I'm, if, if I'm forgetting anybody and they see the interview, I apologize. Um, but I just, I think that was the five. For sure. I'm curious that 09 season, um, again, you blew up, had a really, really good year that year. But you guys, I remember specifically, go to ECU in the postseason. And that was a really, really, really tough loss in the postseason to lose there. I think you guys, yeah. from guys I've talked, you guys basically had that game lost, I think, maybe in extras or the bottom of the ninth or something. And, you know, you're sent home packing. And, and the national title, South Carolina baseball had never won the national title. But, I mean, the, the, the record of success was, you know, you knew. Carolina baseball is a top five, at worst, top ten program every single year, going to the College World Series, going to Super Regionals. Omaha is the standard. Could you kind of sense, though, being on that roster that you guys were really close, like scratching the surface to what happened in 2010? Like, I mean, did you feel that kind of – did you see that coming at all? You know what I mean? Because you obviously look at the names now, and you talk about, like, the Merrifields, and you just talk about all the guys that carried over to 2010. And, of course – you added some pieces, you know, you added a Christian Walker. I mean, that was a huge one, but did, did you kind of sense that going into 10? Like, Hey, we've really got a shot to do something special. So that's kind of the expectation every year, you know? Right. So it wasn't really a surprise. Um, it's not a rebuild. It's reload. Just like from, from 2008 to 2009. 
I mean, I remember the first day back, I'm in the locker room. Like, I don't recognize any of these people. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> gone. Um, but, uh, and there was no fall off, really. I mean, I think we were ranked higher in nine than we were in eight. Didn't start off like that, but it finished like that. Um, and it, it's just that mentality that, again, comes with uh, teams coached by Coach Tanner. It's just a toughness that comes from it. You have that expectation every year that anything less is a failure. So it's not, I wouldn't say that I was surprised by it. Um, at least at the beginning. Now, when we lost the first game in Omaha and the next game was against Arizona state, I was like, well, <laughs> that's tough. That's tough. That's be a short trip out here. Um, and then just kept winning and kept winning and kept winning. So, um, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that at the beginning of the year, I was surprised by it just cause that's the expectation every year. For sure. Parker specific to you, I'm curious back to the 09 season. What, what do you attribute, you know, making that jump to? Um, cause again, like I said, obviously there's an adjustment going from high school ball to sec and I mean, best conference in the country, bottom line, best pitchers, best players, whatever. What, what was the biggest growth for you as a player? Would you say? Uh, just having a better approach to the plate honestly, because like you said, the pitching was about the same. Um, and there are tiny mechanical adjustments that you make here and there from season to season, but offensively it was uh, honing in on the approach of the plate that I actually it was useful. And honestly, the confidence that I could do it, you know, and those guys leaving to make some room didn't hurt. Um, but it was honestly, the main thing was the confidence in myself in the box. For sure. Now, I, I want to move again that 2010 season, and I, I want to talk about the Carolina-Clemson rivalry a little bit because obviously you played in that one. You guys had a lot of success against them, um, especially in 2010 against Omaha. That, that's what Gamecock fans all remember. One of the things that stands out of that run is, is beating Clemson twice in Omaha. And again, I think <clears> – <throat> I'm pretty sure you were the year because there's, there's certainly moments in the rivalry that stick out when you were there, even before 10, I think the ones off the top of my head, I think it was the year before you got there when Harley Lale threw up the four to the Clemson outfield or whatever, when they swept them four games. In, or was that, that was seven? That was eight. Oh, eight. Okay. Okay. So then you yeah. were there. All right. You know. Um, yeah, that awesome. yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. That, that's back when, when you guys played them in the midweek. So you yeah. played them four times in a season. And if people maybe you're somehow forgetting what I'm talking about, like what Harley Lale catches the final out. And I mean, you know, their fans have been chirping the whole series, and he just throws up the. <laughs> yeah, they're tough. Later, four and zero, we'll take they're it. Tough. And then I think was it the same? Was it was it also 08? That was when Smoke got like thrown at, quote unquote, and then hit one probably seven thousand feet over the right field fence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> um, but I think he actually. So Vaughn, I think he pulled a couple near Smoke Shin, and they know each other from. Yeah, that's that's what uh, somebody they, else they told went me. Way, they went way back. Yeah, uh, and then the home run was like, yeah, I had I've never seen a ball land in those woods. <laughs> uh, now I haven't played a lot of games at Clemson, but right. that that one was hit really well. Um, and then the the minor brouhaha that happened the next pitch when yeah. uh, Drew Chris got hit in the back, yeah. but. Yeah, I think that's – Drew was the one I talked to that told me about that. He was he, he had told me Smoke and the pitcher, like, knew each other. But on video, it did not look that way. I mean, it looked no. – you know, <laughs> that's what made it so epic. You're like, all right, what is going on? 
Yeah, um, that's that's one of those where you go down the YouTube rabbit hole. I always come back to that. Yeah, that video because I just yeah. the home run is awesome. Yeah, for sure. But overall, your experience though in that rivalry, I mean, again, so many intense moments, and it just goes to show. I mean, I I would say, and I'm sure you'd agree, I think it's the best rivalry in all of college baseball. I mean, it is a it is a super regional environment, and, it, and now obviously with the three game series, one Carolina, one Clemson, and one neutral site. I mean, it truly has that super regional feel early on in the season for both teams. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it uh, it's definitely an intense rivalry. Um, I mean, I think ten was the first year we did the three the three thing. Um, so I got it was nice to be a part of that and be. You and know, Clemson actually won that series two out of three. People forget that. Yeah, yeah. People forget <laughs> we lost nineteen to six on Sunday. Yeah. Um, the, that, that was, I think that was uh, I think Ethan Carter told me that was the sweet the the white hats which were never worn again. I don't remember that, but I think I think that's uh, what that, he said. It was the white hats. I don't know. He's he's a little younger than me, so he's got a better <laughs> memory. But that uh, yeah, that's that was a tough one. That was a tough day, tough Sunday. But got the better out, of them though. Yeah, but got, you got him where it counted. Day. You got him where it counted. Yeah. Yeah, and that that uh, that first game in Omaha, I mean, like, again, that just he's he's gonna think that I'm kissing up to him, but uh, the decision to start your lefty specialist mm. because Clemson had seven lefties in the lineup, right. I mean that, and that set something else entirely in motion, you know. So because yeah. I remember my job going to that game was to come in and throw a bunch of sliders to Kyle Parker once. And Mike ended up throwing a complete game, you know, and it's unbelievable. I mean, that was, that was a huge moment. I think um, for just my, my baseball career, you know, not, not even anything about my, or the success or anything. It was just great to see, you know, one of my better friends on the team, something like that. Not to, not to mention the stuff that it happened or that took place for the team after that, you know, what that game, that was a, just a big, a big, big, big game. And the fact that it was against Clemson just made it that much better. I mean, Michael Roth literally went from, you know, little known specialist to legend overnight. I mean, it really, it was yeah. crazy when you think, like you said, it's, it's really crazy when you think about it. Um, I, I want to dive in the run a little bit more Parker, but I, I don't know how I glossed over this. You were part of the team that transitioned from Sarge Fry to Founders Park. And I think that's something worth noting because obviously, like you said, I think I thought it was funny earlier when you said you you were on your recruiting visit and you saw Sarge Fry and you had never seen anything like it. Well, I, I'm assuming you had never seen anything like Founders Park either. Um, because I remember specifically, you know, I, I went to games at Sarge Fry and I, I remember specifically you know, when I heard that the Gamecocks were getting a new baseball stadium, I'm like, why? I mean, Sarge is awesome. Like, why? It's great. And then yeah. you, and then I went to a game in 2010 there, and I was like, oh, okay. This makes yeah. sense. Like, yeah. it's an insane facility, obviously. Um, it really is. Just, just talk about that. Because wasn't it, I think, 08 was supposed to be the last year of Sarge, and then it got pushed back, right, or no? Seven. Seven was supposed Seven to be was. Like, okay, okay. That's right. Eight, Nine eight. was the first year of Mountains, <clears throat> right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so – um, <laughs> I mean, ending the season and ending Sarge Fry's like tenure, you know, ending that stadium's run with a walk off yeah. Grand Slam. Um, that was the Havens walk off, right? Yeah, yeah, against Tennessee to send us to the conference tournament. Um, wild, 
wild. And then being a part of the festivities and actually getting the first hit in Founders Park, which I did. Um, so I'll be the answer to a trivia question. I'm about to say, I, I didn't know that. I just, I genuinely, yeah. we just learned something new today. Yeah. Yeah. So at, uh, at that was, that was neat to be a part of that too. And um, like I said, be the answer to a trivia question at least once a season yeah. um, <laughs> until they play <laughs> yeah. uh, is a, uh, is interesting and, and need to be a part of as well. But I mean, and the way that that place was built so we could practice on it and familiarize ourselves with it, they built the playing surface first and then built everything up around it. So mm. we would have to bus over there from Sarge Fry because the locker room wasn't built yet. Right. Um, which meant sometimes your post-practice, post-throw conditioning is, hey, run back to Sarge Fry. <laughs> uh, which, you know, I think it's only like three miles or something. It's right, not terribly right. far, but <laughs> avoiding traffic and your conditioning is always fun yeah. uh, at a add an element of Frogger to your condition. Super exciting. <laughs> um, but having, having the construction happening around us while we're practicing, that was an interesting vibe. And just seeing it materialize like one building at a time and then seeing the finished product, which is a, a spectacle in and of itself. It is pretty impressive. Um, and I think I tried really hard not to become jaded <laughs> getting to practice in that place mm. um and really try to appreciate uh every day like at the practice there because it's mm. and as a guy who transitioned into outfield i was really happy because the walls at sarge fry were metal and the walls right. at <laughs> parker padded yeah. so uh in the level of the intensity of the guys go after balls i was not trying to right I was happy I didn't have to wear a screw or something like a few of my teammates did earlier on from the the Spencer Sarge Fry. I'm curious as a hitter, where'd you like swinging it more? Um, Sarge is a bandbox. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, I had my first career. I think I think I had my first career home run. Is there? I can't remember. Is there Auburn? But I mean, pitching Founders Park is definitely more pitcher friendly. Mm. On most days, uh, there's some days where the wind blows out to right. Yeah, I remember there was a home run I hit against Vandy where it had no business going out, right? And it did, and uh, yeah, that ball's probably an out in Sarge, but right. um, it, it kind of depends. Most of the time, Sarge Fry is was the better place for hitting. I got you. So that 2010 season again, you, you guys go through and it. it that, that season had a lot of up and downs. Again, people forget, um, lose that series to Clemson early. Um, but you guys went on a little bit of a run there, and it's, it's crazy to see the guys that emerged throughout that season. You know, a guy like Whit Merrifield really came into his own. Uh, Bobby Haney was an addition that came into his own. And Blake Cooper, I mean, the season he had was just r- ridiculous. Sam Dyson, what he did, Morales. You know, you go, go down all these names. But uh, – you know, you guys get in the postseason, that Coastal Carolina Super Regional is where it really, really kicked off. Um, the, I think I feel like the magic, at least, of, of those really back-to-back runs. Um, Christian Walker hitting a ball that still hasn't landed yet to give you guys the lead. And, and, and you know, it's funny, man. I, I've talked to, you know, some of your former teammates, and they say Coastal's – they were like, Coastal's probably the best team we played that year. It's I agree. Top to bottom. And it seems, yeah, it seems like that's the consensus. So to go in there and say it's like, dude, it's like 200 degrees. I mean, they, they've got studs all over the place. Go in their place and get that super regional win. And that feeling of dogpiling to go to Omaha. Again, you hadn't had that feeling in your career at Carolina. And um, 
you know, obviously it ended up being your last year in Garnet and Black. Just describe the emotion again of that dog pile and knowing that you've punched your ticket to, you know, the promised land. I mean, just pure elation, you know, just absolute pure elation is what I would call it. Um, Cause I mean, a big factor for going to South Carolina is going to Omaha. Mm. You know, when I was getting recruited, they had gone three years in a row, two, three, four. And that was, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to come to South Carolina because I wanted to go to Omaha and we hadn't gone yet. And um, yeah, I mean, I remember the run in from the bullpen and I, most of the time, if you do a dead sprint, 80 yards or however far it is, you're going to be a little winded zero at all. I felt like I was running on air the whole way in. Um, and I, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I, it's, I, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. And then you get to, you get to Omaha again. And I'm sure there's a, you know, like you were kind of saying about founders park, there's almost a part of you where it's like, you have to take a step back and be like, all right, it's baseball. Like we got to lock in. I mean, it's, you know, you can get probably taken aback by everything that you experienced, but you guys go there. And again, to overcome the adversity that 10 team did. Losing that first game and that oak, which what that Oklahoma game lasts like ten hours because of the rain, the lightning <laughs> delay or whatever. I mean, it's like the, the most yeah. one of the most miserable days of baseball you can have. You're just like, yeah, <laughs> wishing yeah. it would be I, over. <laughs> they had these big, uh, these big coolers of vitamin water, and I probably had like seventeen vitamin waters <laughs> with those four or five rain delays. It's just, it is brutal. But uh, the lightning you, delays and. I was going to say that you, you lose that one though. Just talk about the resiliency of that team. Cause I mean, that, that was a huge hurt. And like you said, I mean, and it's so funny, man, cause what you said, I had Michael Roth on a couple, a couple of years ago. I, I chatted with, with Michael Roth and he said the same thing. And I'm like, this is the guy that beat Clemson that was instrumental in winning. And he was like, yeah, I man, I'll be honest. After we lost Oklahoma, I was like, well, this was fun. <laughs> I'm like, that's Roth though. That's just, that's just Roth. Like, that, yeah. that entire uh, – that attitude or whatever. But coming out the next day, you know, really just taking it to Arizona State. I mean, it just – you know. But I think it speaks to, like, you know, guys like you that were, like, veteran leaders on that team that, uh, you know, sort of held that thing together, if you will. Because, again, you guys could have went two and Q and that's it. But to find a way to overcome the adversity and, you know, you beat Arizona State. Obviously, we know JBJ against Oklahoma. You beat Clemson twice and then you – you go beat a UCLA team that's literally they're they're you know they got two guys in the big league still doing it right now and probably more than that just I'm thinking of Cole and Bauer but just mm-hmm. that overall run I mean you know something special I know I'm stating the obvious but just something really special yeah and it was exciting to be a part of it it was exciting while I was in it and I think um, <laughs> it was it was interesting because you had to win the game to get the meal money the next day um, because. <laughs> um, Obviously, that's not the only reason that we wanted to win. But mm. I remember there, I think there was an interview that Mike did where uh, the reporter asked him, what does this game mean to you? And his first answer was more meal money, um, which, uh, which is very indicative of <laughs> that guy. Um, but uh, no, nah, just knowing that you're one step closer to something that, yeah, you go into the season expecting, but the the numbers are so far against you to achieve a national championship Mm. and the resiliency, I think, again, that just speaks to the type of team that we were, you know, we were, we didn't take it super seriously, you know, like we were intense about it. We 
were intense about our work. We were intense about our preparation. But in the game, it was a game. It was time to play. And, uh, I mean, which you go back to the first game against UCLA when Wingo boots a couple balls. Mm. And then the third play he makes, and we erupt in sarcastic, ironic cheering in the dugout in the national championship game. You know, yeah. so that's the opposite of that, being uptight. The opposite exactly, of being uptight. Yeah. Exactly. It comes from being battle tested, it comes from playing very tough teams at the beginning of the season, non conference. It comes from an SEC schedule, um, you know, where I think we've won 21 games, I want to say. Uh, which was good enough for second. Um, you were 21 and nine in conference and you're in second. Um, seeing them go to an out was, was nice though. Seeing Florida go to an out was yeah. nice after they dogpiled on our field. Yeah. Um, but uh, nah, it was, I mean, every day was super exciting. You wake up, you're like, all right, cool. Like it's, let's go do something great again today. Um, let's go get a wonderful steak down the road at, uh, um, one of the many restaurants that we were yeah. lucky enough to be close to. And then let's go win another baseball game and, mm. you know, see, see what happens. And I, I got to ask you again on the, just the Clemson, the South Carolina Clemson matchup in that 2010 college world series. I know we talked about the rivalry, but you guys knew the history against Clemson and Omaha specifically. I mean, 2002 did the exact same thing, swept them in Omaha and, I mean, how much – there had to be – I had to imagine there had to be so much juice in that one. And they had just taken two out of three from you in the regular season. You're like, all right, we're, we're about to get our – we're about to get our revenge on these guys. And I Yeah, mean, I mean, you try to just approach it just like it's any other game. It's just right. not. You know, it's – the stakes literally could not be higher and <laughs> it's the team that you want to beat the most. Yeah, so, um, just playing with our backs against the wall, it gets them, I guess, added to it. You know, we obviously – we needed a spark, which – Mike's heroics were that spark and mm -hmm. like, well, once Dyson's on the mound, it's done. Like, that's yeah. it. We're good now. Um, you know, with both of those guys, uh, Cooper and Dyson, and I know Sunday was kind of a rotating door, just couldn't really figure out who it was and not to disrespect any of the guys that got a shot at it. Obviously. I mean, that, that, right, right. that whole pitching staff was fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, not a lot of pitching staffs have, the bench warmers like myself get drafted because of how good the staff is. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, it, it was a feeling would Coop and Dyson done deal. Like we're going to win, yeah. but we just needed to get back to those guys. And we needed that spark of uh, magic, I guess um, that little, that little magic bag that coach Tanner keeps in his pocket um, just to make the right call right. once again. Um, and it worked. I mean, yeah, was, I, I, I was going to say the Mata Taylor price on the back end, too. I mean, just yeah, unreal. Unreal. Yeah. Yeah, you get to the, you get to the seventh, it's like good night. It's over. Yeah, that's it. Game over. And I mean, and all year, it's you got, you know, at least one at bat against that team's best lefty is taken care of right, right in the game. And that, they're, that guy's not going to get a hit. Hmm. I mean, the list of names that he struck out. Uh, or got out in his job is pretty impressive, you know, because each each SEC team has a big lefty, and essentially all those dudes got neutralized once a game, which is nice to have a bunch of weapons like that. Mm. Um, but no, I mean that, that going into the after we beat Clemson the first game, we knew we were going to win the second one just because they were going to start scrambling. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Blake, Blake Cooper said the same thing to me when I talked to him. 
he put it, he actually put it as he said, they, uh, something to the, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, they did not want to play us. We were the team they did not want to see. Probably. I mean, um, you do, you don't want to play the team that knows you really well. Right. You know? Yeah. And I mean, they were, they were obviously really hot. I don't think they were expected to make it that far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember reading, I want to say like the Omaha week, whatever the newspaper is locally. And they did a little a write-up about it. And what does this team need to do to win? Mm-hmm. And they did that for seven teams. They didn't put us in there. So they left us out. Um, I don't know if that was just a, an oversight or what, but and I, I don't know how many of our guys are reading the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but that was an interesting thing. So I guess we weren't supposed to be there either. Um, but, uh, it was, I don't know, two, two forces that were riding their wave, uh, something had to give and we got the better of that, which was exciting. Yeah. And I, I bring it up. Cause like you said, you were so close with Roth and you, you guys both being in that bullpen and being part of the, <clears throat> what you say, the, the pinch hitter goon squad as, as you called it earlier. What, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, he, was, he was my throwing partner too. So gotcha. Uh, yeah. I, I only bring it up. Cause like this story, I, I had a, I'm just dropping names here left and right, but I had Adam Matthews on the show last year and uh, he was obviously Roth's roommate. He, he told a hilarious story though, just about when, when Roth found out he was starting the Clemson game or I say found out. Apparently it was, I guess, coach Tanner or whoever came by the room. Like, Hey, you, you good to go tomorrow? You're He's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like just kind of brushed it off. And then he said that yeah. Roth, Roth said he got a text the day of like, Hey, best of luck tonight. And he's like, what are you talking about? Best, I mean, why is this different than any other game? And then he yeah. finds out he's he's starting. He's like, okay, like just whatever, just like, yeah, yeah. like the biggest yeah. moment of your your life, your your baseball career, and just like ah, all right, cool. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty much it. Pretty part yeah, of the course. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> um, I remember getting on the bus because uh, he was my bus seat partner right, too, right. and um, he's like, yeah, I'm starting. I was like, does he want to go home? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> Obviously joking. And uh, Mike was like, yeah, I guess. I guess. Once, once I head back to Columbia tomorrow. <laughs> so, I, mean, um, I think, and I, I think the plan was, it was a little more scripted out. Right, uh, I right. think they were hoping for two or three for Mike and, and then piece it together with the seven guys that, you know, didn't, hadn't thrown yet. And, right. And because uh, I think Price was down that day too, um, which I mean that's you, as a pitching coach, you go into a game that you need to win, and you're like, oh boy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to piece some stuff together here, and someone has to step up, and Mike decided to be that guy. For sure, you go to the uh, the the finals against UCLA again, a team that's stacked, loaded, whatever, and. Um, you guys take care of business just flat out the first game. Hit around Garrett Cole, which was fun to watch. And it's crazy to it's crazy to think. I know he's not the same exact guy as he was then, but you're like, this is Garrett Cole, dude. This is this is a stud. I mean, just yeah. you know. Yeah. And it, I, yeah, and it, I remember the uh the scouting report prior from Coach Holbrook. He's like, all right, his fastball is ninety six and ninety nine. <laughs> what? Okay. Um yeah, sliders like 87. Like, well, I'm glad because I, I only hit against lefties. So I'm right. glad that I'm glad he's a righty because I don't have any interest <laughs> in being in the box with that. Um, but now, I mean, I think we just 
we just kind of pecked him to death. You know, we, yeah. he wasn't great at feeling his position at the time. So mm. we bunted, we shortened up, essentially had a two-strike approach the whole game is what it looked like and just tried to put the ball in play. Yeah. And good things happen. You know, when you try, you know, you know, you're going into it, you know, you're overmatched. So self-awareness is, is a little key there and being pragmatic with like, I'm going into this, I'm probably going to lose this, but I'm going to try to fight tooth and nail to see what I can do. Mm. And that kind of speaks to the personality of the team itself. um, Where it's just, I don't want to say scrappy. That's not the right word, but Mm. um, relentless, I guess would be a better one. A little more positive sounding. Um, Mm. And it just, you just peck at something enough, eventually it's going to break. And I think he gave up more runs to us in that game than he did in any other start in his career. Yeah. And it's like you said, that's what made that 10 team so great, though, is, is you you had the mix of power, but also a team that could go station to station, could beat you a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, and I'm sure you, you know, being a college coach right now, you or some of your other coaches, whatever, may, may tell the guys, I'm, I remember coaches that I'd played for specifically, they'd just be like, Man, put the ball in play. They're, they're college fielders. I mean, make them make a play. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, the same scenario there. It's like, if nothing else, put the bat on the baseball. But jumping into that second game again, what a game it was. Obviously, we all know the late game heroics, Whit Merrifield, the walk off to right field, and the, you know, the last bat at the Blatt. You know what I mean? The literally the mm-hmm. last year of Blatt, and you guys walk it off. You know, first national championship ever in the history of the school in a major sport. And, Obviously, first national title for Gamecock baseball, and you close out your career in that type of fashion. I mean, so many things, like so many different variables, but that ping just lives on forever. I mean, off Merrifield, mm-hmm. just again, talk about try try to describe, I guess, that rush of emotion. You know, knowing you guys had captured it. I, I can't. I can't. You know, and I, I I was lucky enough to be a part of a state championship game uh, or cha- state championship team my senior year in high school. So I, I guess I had a habit of winning the last game of my, at a stop at places. So, but it, I mean, I love my teammates from high school. I love doing that, but this, the national championship, it just, there are no words. There are no words. Like I'm, again, I'm a normally a pretty stoic guy. I don't, you know, I smile, like smiled straight for like 10 hours. I couldn't, I've never done that before. Um, at least not then. Um, you know, my, there's been some big moments since obviously, but, um, nah, it was fantastic. It was, and I, I'm at a loss for words to properly describe. I don't, I don't have the linguistic capability to describe it. I don't think, but, um, nah, I just, and I think we all knew as soon as we had a runner on third and one of our best hitters up. Yeah. It's like, all right, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Holy crap, this is happening. And then as soon the moment of contact, it just yeah. the dugout just exploded. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, I I don't blame you. Um, and it's crazy while this is all going on, by the way, uh, you're realizing a lifelong dream. You get drafted by the Kansas City Royals in that twenty ten MLB draft in the thirty first round. Talk about getting that call. I guess where were you? Because I know in a lot of scenarios. And I think they've kind of tried to fix it a little bit, maybe. But a lot of these scenarios, like you're in practice, you're on the field. You know, a lot of this is going on during like the super regionals. Like, what what was that like for you? When, when did you get the call? And you know, obviously, your reaction and realizing a lifelong dream, getting to play pro ball. I actually got the call at home uh, before. So day two, okay. I had 
I, I never told a coach this, but I had my phone in my pocket and my pants at practice <laughs> on day two, um, just in case, not, not necessarily expecting a call, but just in case I got one. And then, um, there were some calls with some scouts that night telling me there's a chance that it will happen tomorrow. And, um, then I got the call. I was like the third pick in the 31st round. So it was still relatively early. The 31st round is the first round of day three. So, uh, it was, I want to say around lunchtime because we didn't practice till the afternoon. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was exciting. I mean, you work your whole life for something and you get a shot to do it. So it was, it was really, really exciting to get a, ch- a chance to do that thing that everybody who, I mean, I would say if you try, if you play baseball at some point, yeah. you pro ball is a dream and a goal and mm-hmm. getting an opportunity to do that. And, you know, getting to push back the real world for at least a few more years. Um, it's fantastic. It was really, it was awesome. Big moment. Know, I'm curious, Parker, what were your biggest takeaways from, from playing pro ball? And also, you know, while you're going throughout all this, you know, South Carolina's just ho-hum busy winning another title, going to a second or going to a second straight one and winning it. Um, and I, obviously, again, those are all your guys, you know, all the, and then they go back in 12. And I mean, it's like, those are all your guys still yet again, guys you played with probably the youngsters or whatever on those teams. I mean, yeah, you're obviously taking care of your business playing pro ball, but I'm sure you're watching that from afar. I know that had to be, yeah. in a sense, you probably almost felt like you were a part of it. You know what I mean? Cause you helped start that run. It was like watching your little brothers, you know, it was really cool. Um, and I, I almost enjoyed watching 11 more than 10, which doesn't make sense because I wasn't on the team anymore. But right. I mean, I, I was, I was excited for them watching uh, the reruns in Arizona. So, um, I mean, the throw, the throw at the Florida game, that was unreal. I mean, Jake I'm, Williams. <laughs> yeah. He just pulled that throw out of Found the way. <laughs> yeah, the best throw of his life by far. Um, not to take a dig at Jake, but not known. For no, no, no. Hey, you should have heard what AJ Morales told me here on these airwaves. He said, and I quote, Jake Williams did not have a good arm. That's literally how he started the sentence. So I was like, okay, we got yeah. it. We got it out there in the open. It's okay. No shot at Jake, but. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's, that's, that's Adrian. He is, yeah. uh, Does not hold that. A, I, I love that guy. He yeah. is, um, he is up front. Yeah. There's no, there's no Electric. lack of transparency with that guy. He is awesome. Um, he's still in the coaching world too. So we, mm-hmm. we talk yeah. every once in a while, um, uh, all kinds of stuff. I, I love that guy, but mm-hmm. watching, watching that, the, the 11 team was like you said, I mean, it was, it was a little surreal watching it. It's like, man, I've practiced with these guys and look at them growing up. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, but nah, it was, it was wild. It was mm-hmm. definitely wild, but, the, um, uh, yeah, I'm, like I said, I've, I'm reliving these memories. I'm, um, I've gotten goosebumps like three times this conversation, which is rare for me. So uh, just thinking about, you know, when Jake made the throw, Wingo's plays, holy cow. Yeah. I mean, that's – whenever I'm describing Scott Wingo to somebody, like, look, this is the best defensive infielder I've ever seen. Mm. And I've played with a lot of really good players. And don't tell Scotty I said this. I don't like saying really nice things about people. But um, but whenever I bring that up, I show that video. And the reaction is always, how? How, how did he? Like, I don't know. I've, I saw him 
And that play is probably not even the top 10 plays that I saw that guy make. I mean, some of the stuff that he's able to do, but obviously the moment there puts that play at the top in those two plays, Mm -hmm. Um, the dive, the hop up, and then the double play. It's just unbelievable. I mean, I'm, almost had a heart attack watching those. And every time you, you see the hit, you're like, oh, God, now that's over. And that's it. Yeah. And you, no, no, they just did not lose. And I've talked to guys that were on that team about it, and they were like, man, 2010 was more exciting because yeah. we just knew 2011 was all boring because we knew we were going to win. I was like, how, how, how <laughs> could that ever be boring? <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, and it's 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 funny though because you talk about Morales. He he actually said the same thing. He was like, eleven was a lot more business. Ten was mm-hmm. very, you know, just unique. It's different, just different. But yeah, obviously, I mean, we're all watching on the edge of our seat, and you know, those mm-hmm. plays. That, yeah, I mean, those plays that were made. Obviously, I mean, we, we still obviously talk about them this day. But um, you mentioned, you know, Adrian in the coaching world. You're obviously in the coaching world. You started, I think, you started at Heathwood Hall, right in Columbia. Started out coaching there. What like what's the coaching? path been like for you because obviously you're at Davidson now just talk about what made you want to get into it when did you know you wanted to coach I mean you know that whole experience so uh the last year in pro ball um I had an injury in my second year and then in my third year I was in extended spring training again kind of still rehabbing so you're 24 and extended surrounded by kids that didn't go to college and or not yet you know they got drafted out of high school they're all really young so you know I was kind of the the old guy that the younger guys asked advice to um, some of those kids, he's called me dad, which is great. <laughs> um, but you give the pointers, you give the things that will help you and then it helps somebody. And you see the light go on in their eyes. Like, Oh, this is way better. That initially is kind of why I started to get, I wanted to potentially try to make coaching a thing for me. Um, and I was lucky enough with the Royals to learn from two unbelievable pitching minds that I was able to, uh, not this, and obviously coach Calvi too. learn from that guy in college. I mean, I've just been able to kind of be surrounded by as a player, I was able to be surrounded by all these fantastic coaching minds and just to have those guys help me with that, that foundation to build upon as the game advances, as new knowledge and new technology comes out. Um, but ultimately it was, I wanted to coach to help players get better and just to give back to the game, uh, and to stay in a game that I love. So, um, I kind of fell into my first, my first job. Um, I was at Dutch Fork, actually Dutch Fork. I was an assistant there and I was playing slow pitch softball and the head coach there asked, um, who they I know I've, I've talked to your coach on the team. I know you played some pro ball. Um, I know you're trying to get back in as a hitter, which didn't work. Um, and uh, I'd love for you to come help me out. So I did I did hitting on JV, no, hitting on varsity and pitching on JV uh, while I was in grad school. And then I got the that turned into the assistant job for the Columbia blowfish. Who's now the Lexington County blowfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that turned into Heathwood hall, which then turned into head coach, the Wilmington sharks and CPL, yep. which then turned into Presbyterian, which turned into this. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, it's been a wild nine year ride or however long it's been. Um, a lot of different stops. Mm-hmm. 
For sure. I'll say it's been a fun ride. I'll give you a second, by the way, if you want to plug your uh, your Davidson squad, because I, I know Davidson's got a very solid baseball program. I, I know what, and this was a while ago, but what jumps out to me is when, uh, what, Davidson beat UNC in the regional yeah. or whatever? Yeah, that, that was obviously that was a huge moment for that program, for you guys' program. Um, yeah, I'll give you a second to, you want to plug, you know, I'm sure you don't want to make them feel too good ahead of the season, but, um, obviously <laughs> you handle, you handle the pitchers and stuff like that. And just kind of talk about you guys team coming into this season. Um, I, I mean, we've, the program continues to advance and evolve. Uh, I think we've gotten better and better and better each year. Um, I don't, I don't want to sound biased, but I think our pitching staff is pretty good. Uh, don't tell them that. Hopefully they don't watch this interview. Um, I, I like to not. Keep the egos uh, small. Keep the egos yeah. small. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a product of who I play for. So um, uh, offense is really good too. It's very balanced attack. I think, um, you know, in the past it's been power, power, power. And now I think we can beat you in a lot of different ways. Um, and I think the defense has gotten better. So I, I like to be, cautiously optimistic but i think i think we have a chance to be pretty good um a lot of good balance of old and young i think um we have some sophomores on the mound that had to that had to pitch last year and actually i want to say we've every save the last two years has besides i think three have been by a freshman so wow we have a bullpen that's and that's not like seven or eight it's like 26 um so we have we have a strong core of young pitchers who are very talented and who also have experience. So, and the offense is the same way. We lost a couple guys last year uh, in some grad transfer situations, but I think uh, I think we have a shot to be as good in the places that they are vacating. So, um, I, I, I'm excited about the season. I can't wait for it to start. Yeah. I, I know we're the same, well, especially after last year, lo- losing the college baseball season, getting it back, getting back after it uh, is going to be great for everybody. Parker, you've been great with your time. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time to come on and reflect on the great memories. Last question before I get you out of here, because normally I ask guys, hey, you know, talk about your favorite memory from 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 school. But I mean, for you, I, I, I feel like it's pretty safe to say what it is. So I'll ask you this instead. Um, yeah. Favorite Coach Tanner story that you can tell on the airwaves that happened either on field, off field, like because I, I he's a he's a character. I mean, there's no question. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I have to think about it for a little bit. I mean, uh, my favorite Coach Tanner story is probably when I was trying to play first base, um, and I say trying. <laughs> I wasn't actually playing first base. I just had the glove, and I was standing near the base. Um, just in its general vicinity. I don't know if what you call what I was doing, playing first base. Yeah. <laughs> um, he walked over and he said, uh, I might as well put a glove on a mannequin. <laughs> it's, like, it's, so, it's so funny that it's not mean anymore. You know, like yeah. I, and I started laughing. I couldn't, I couldn't, it was so funny. It's just perfect, perfect line. Um, and in that same vein, uh, like a month later, he walks out and goes, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get, uh, go get, go to Lipsy, who was our DBO at the time. Uh, go get an outfield glove. Go stand and put your back against the wall and left. Take four steps forward. 
because I want to get you as far away from the ball as possible. <laughs> All righty. Well, let's uh, do it. Yes, I'm an outfielder now too. Awesome, cool. So, uh, yeah, those those two are kind of the same thing, but yeah, both perfectly executed punchlines. Because Tanner uh, just just away with words, away with words. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, like I say, it's and uh, you get to a point where you. It is, there's, it's a joke, but there's some truth in it, you know, so right. it's not, it softens the blow of you're a terrible defensive first baseman. So it's, <laughs> um, it, uh, it sticks with you. And it's one of those things where it, it uh, I'm a big believer that self-awareness is one of the first steps to true growth yeah. and being told the truth about yourself is a great place to start. So, yeah. uh, and I can say I, I use those lessons every single day at work, every single day. So, um, and I, I'm thankful that he liked me enough to give me a shot to play there. And, uh, thankful that we, you know, still have a relationship where I can call him if I have some advice about something. So, or need, I don't have advice. I'm not giving him advice. I need advice from him, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's nice to have that, that storage of knowledge to build off of as a, as a coach still early in his career. For sure. Well, Parker, man, it's been a pleasure. Seriously, seriously, reflect on the great memories with you. And obviously I, I know I speak for all Gamecock fans when I say it was a pleasure to watch you do what you did, obviously in Garnet and Black and with it culminating in that 2010 national title. I mean, just something we'll, we'll all never forget. Of course, hopefully another one to come soon. That's what I keep telling people. Like I'm hoping there's more of these memories made very yeah. very soon I, I was like i'd love nothing more than to have june plans in omaha because i've never been so um, it's pretty great yeah, yeah I, I, pretty I, great yeah I, I you know i wish those guys the best of luck down there i hope they go yeah. 55 and one but yeah exactly i'm about to say davidson's probably gonna be or i guess it's probably finalized on you guys schedule gonna be stepping foot into founders park or no or you're still working that out yeah yeah i think we had to move the date um okay. with all i mean this the schedule is so fluid right right, right with yeah. everything changing. I mean, our, our schedule's not even finalized yet. And so yeah. uh, we're in the pro we have some openings. We're in the process of trying to get filled. Um, mm. But yeah, one, one of the games is in Columbia, which is cool. I tried, mm. I tried in the negotiations to get them to throw, uh, throw polys in after the game, but that was <laughs> unsuccessful. So <laughs> no, can I, that, no can. I, Take I, I miss a lot of, I miss a lot of things about Columbia, but that, that is the thing I miss the most. Mm. Polly's front porch. It's a free plug here. Yeah, um, free plug. Yeah. Great spot. Hey, they deserve it. That's a great spot. Yeah, unreal. Unreal. Yeah, for sure. Well, Parker, like I said, best of luck to you and uh, your Davidson squad this year. Obviously, I know we'll be playing, paying close attention, especially when you guys do come to Columbia. But, uh, no, seriously, man, great conversation. Obviously, what you did for the Garnet and Black. I mean, fans will never forget it, never stop appreciating it. And, again, we'll wish you best of luck and uh, be keeping a close eye on, uh, on Davidson this season. So, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a good time. Absolutely. He's Parker Bangs. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show.
the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.